spontaneously. Uh, one of the primary gifts my wife has, the way God communicates to her is through dreams. And she's had literally innumerable dreams that have come to pass. Dates, times, places, faces. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm going to just say this a couple times again so everybody in the house gets to hear it at least once. So, and then Mark's going to come up and teach. So, um, at the turn of the year, God impressed on me that uh, we had just closed a book in the Gathering Place Church, and we were opening up a brand new book and writing on the first page. A new season, not, not a new chapter, but a new book. That God is doing a brand new thing here at our church. The next day, I had a person who prays a lot, called an intercessor, call me and said, I was praying for you last night, and I had a, a vision that you had just closed a book and you're opening a brand new book and you're writing on the first page. You're that book. God is doing a new work in our church, which means a new work in your life. Then a few weeks ago, I was in pre-service prayer and Kathy Mancini, uh, who is one of uh, an intercessor, a prophetic intercessor, meaning she prays a lot and she sees stuff like in your imagination, God will give you pictures. She said, I'm seeing a picture of a full house. And she said, that means this house right here is going to be full of people as God is adding to us. We have 12 new people that are going to come to our membership class next Sunday alone. And we've had people getting saved and people getting water baptized. We had water baptisms last Sunday. Wasn't that great? Wasn't that fun? Nothing like people coming to Christ and getting water baptized and starting a brand new walk with Jesus. And she said, but I also see the um, full house like a deck of cards. And somebody has a hand that has a full house. And if you play poker, which if you do, you need to repent. But if you do, a full house is a powerful hand. And that would be two of a kind and three of a kind. So you'd want, like, if you want a full house, you want, like, two kings and three aces or two queens and three kings. That's a powerful hand. And she said that God is saying the Gathering Place Church has a winning hand right now. And she said, but here's the confusing part. The hand I'm seeing are two twos and three threes. She said, if you're going to have a winning hand and, uh, and it's a full house, you, would want it, you wouldn't want it to be two twos and three threes. You'd want it to be like two kings and three aces. And I said, okay, hold the phone, stop the train, put it on the brakes. I'm going to freak everybody out right now. Last night, my sister came to my house and she said, how's the church? I said, it's great, man. There's new life. People coming, people getting saved. It's just wonderful, except for on daylight savings time. I didn't say that, but... and. Uh, and she said, that's wonderful. She goes, hey, you kids want to play a new game? So Ava sat there and, and, uh, and one, another one of my kids, I, I think it was Josiah and myself, and I don't know who it was, we sat down to play cards. And my sister says, I want to teach you guys a new card game. In this game, now this is the Saturday night before the Sunday morning that Kathy had this, this vision. And this was just a few weeks ago. She said, I want to teach you a new game, and, you, and three of a, you want to get three of a kind. Every time you get three of a kind, you get to put it down, and that, you get to count those. She said, but in this game, the most powerful three of a kind are three threes. And she said, the wild cards are twos, so you want twos and threes. The first time I ever played the game, brand new game, brand new season, see the correlation? And I got a hand of two twos and three threes, and we won the game. You guys are the two twos and the three threes. The gathering place, spiritual community right now, God says, the gathering place, you have a winning hand. God is doing a new thing in our church, a new thing in your life. It's a new season. How many of you 
sense a new season in your life. If something new is happening, God's speaking to you, new things are happening, um, this is the Lord. He's doing it. So, so this series that we're in, I was going a completely different direction. I had, I had uh, the series all set. I'd already communicated to the leadership. But God had impressed on me early on a message on hope, and I dismissed it. Because I thought, ah, that's kind of, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like, I don't know. I wasn't into it. But God was. And so then Jan Lennington, one of our senior leaders, she sent me something about hope. And then I found out through Jan that there's a, there's a city move right now called 40 Days of Hope, which is why you see a banner, 40 Days of Hope, out there. I looked into it. And then the Lord gave confirmation two or three other times about hope, that He wants the word, the message of hope being spoke into our lives right now, into our country right now. We need hope. So God, in the midst of our chaos and division, He's speaking a word of hope because He is the God of hope. So we'll continue the series today. Let's welcome Pastor Mark as he comes and teaches on the message of hope. And thank you. And the children and teens are released. Released. Children and teens, children's church, youth church, raising up the next generation. Go get them. Okay. I just want to give some credit here to someone. Usually in a church, the announcements are the most tedious and boring part of the service, and you just can't wait for them to be over. In our church, you just wish they were over. (laughs) I'll tell you what, seriously, like Chris contemplated at one point in his life a career as a stand-up comedian, and God said no, but uh, Chris found a way to sneak it in to God's will when he took over the announcements, and I think they are absolutely hilarious. I, I wait. I wait for, for him to stay. I start giggling before he starts speaking. And the high water mark was today, don't shape your cookies like keys or nail files. I mean, brilliant. And by the way, we call Ronnie Baba. Where is Ronnie Baba? We call, Ron, we call Ronnie Baba, Ronnie Baba, because he went to Ethiopia on a trip with Chris. And somewhere in the middle of that trip, Chris decided he needed an Ethiopian name. So he named him Ronnie Baba. That was years ago, and Ronnie Baba will be in our hearts, Ronnie Baba, forever. So if you're wondering where that name came from, that's where that name came from. And... Uh, Speaking of playing poker, some years ago in our church in Canada, we were experiencing a new season and we were growing like crazy. And uh, my co-pastor had a dream. And in the dream, God spoke to him and said, four of a kind beats a full house. And Bob wasn't a poker player, but um, I was... uh, a poker player in a past life elsewhere, in a country far, far away. And uh, he said, God told me, you know, and the church was growing very quickly. And we were all excited about that. It's easy to get excited about growth. And 
he said, well, I had this dream and God said to me, four of a kind beats a full house. I'm sure it was from the Lord, but I don't understand it. And we thought about it. Unity of the people in the room is more important than a full room. Okay? And if you don't, if you don't grow in unity, if you don't grow in unity when you grow, you're not growing at all. Do you understand? And hard times test our unity. Never judge success by a full house. Judge success by unity. Important. All right. Let's shift gears and go to Anchors of Hope Part 3. And this is the second source of our hope, our anchor of hope. And it's all about the presence of God. Your hope is directly tied to your experience of the presence of God in your life. Now, what do we mean by the presence of God? You see, there's a problem that comes when we use the phrase entering into the presence of God. And I use that phrase all the time. We need to enter into the presence of God. We're in worship, we're entering into the presence of God. In prayer, we're entering into the presence of God. But it creates a, a logical problem and a problem of perception because isn't God everywhere all the time? Isn't he called the omnipresent one? Is there any place in your life that you can run from his presence? No. So if he's present all the time, what do we mean by coming into his presence if he's already here? Well, the fact is this. He's always here. But we're not always aware of his presence. So really, we should say we're entering into the awareness of the presence of God. Well, it's important, isn't it? Because if we don't see it that way, we'll doubt his presence. He's always with you. But you're not always aware that he's here. In fact, if, if a few minutes ago I had not mentioned Ronnie Baba, and you were all listening to the message, and Ronnie Baba's in the room, but I haven't mentioned him, you're not sitting here aware of Ronnie Baba. But if I say, there's Ronnie Baba, all of a sudden everybody in this room is aware of him in that moment. So really, the challenge in Entering into the presence of God is a challenge of awareness. It's not, a, it's not a factual issue of whether he's here or not. It's how can we become aware of his presence right now? And the key phrase is right now. The only time you have available to experience God's presence is right now. Is that right? Right? Okay. It sounds trite, but it has huge implications. Understanding that now is your only opportunity to enter into the presence of God should mean something to us. Here is why it is important. Satan has an agenda, and it is simple. All he wants to do is to prevent you from coming into the experience of God's presence right now. Now, just think about it. 
you don't realize you're in spiritual warfare. We think spiritual warfare is yelling at demons and reducing principalities over cities, and we think it's many things. But first and foremost, every minute of every day, the spiritual warfare you're involved in is whether or not you will come into the awareness of God in the present moment. And look, all your life is is a series of linked present moments. So if the devil can keep you away from your awareness of the presence of God in the present moment, he has won in your life. Get it? You have this opportunity to come into the presence of God right now. But if he can distract you, if he can keep your mind somewhere else on something else, then you are going to miss that opportunity to connect with God. And hope comes when we connect with God. And peace comes when we connect with God. And joy comes when we connect with God. And revelation comes when we connect with God. And everything good in our life comes when we connect with God. So now is the opportune moment. And it's not the opportune moment. It's the only moment. Not that it's opportune. It's your only chance. In this moment, a series of linked nows. How does our enemy prevent us from coming in to the experience and awareness of God in the present moment? And I just find this very, I love symmetry. I love something that just makes sense. And here's what makes sense. In terms of time, what is your life comprised of? Three things. What is your life comprised of in terms of time? Past, present, and future. Where do you spend most of your time thinking? Two two things. You're either caught up. Did someone say bathroom? (laughs) Chris. Get up. Get up. Turn around. My spiritual son. (laughs) Or moon, as the case may be. Look, look. As I analyze my life, and I don't think yours is any different, I spend considerable time regretting my past. And the devil is very helpful. He's continually reminding reminding me of my past failures. From years ago, up through the years, until 10 minutes ago, until a few seconds ago, until pretty much this very moment, this just, it just turned into the next, this very moment. So my attention, much of the time, is on my past and regretting my failures. Do I hear an amen? Are there any, any people here that find that you have difficulty with your past and it continually accuses you? Hands? Any hands? All right. So, so we're humans. But at the same time, and you said it, if you're not caught up in your past, what else are you caught up in? Your future. We spend time regretting our past and we spend time worrying about our future. And those two things rob us of the present moment. And so if you will stay caught up in these two things, 
The enemy will see to it. You never connect with God, except theoretically. He took care of my past. I feel so much better. And my future is in his hands. I feel so much better. But I actually really don't feel so much better because I'm only having thoughts about my past and my future. I'm not actually connecting with him right now. So he's stolen another moment. He's, he's really smart. You see, it's not just God that knows our human nature. The enemy knows our human nature too. And he knows our weakness. And our weakness is our past and our future. And the only time we're strong is right now. If we're making contact with God. He reminds you of your past failures so that you will become mired in the belief that you do not deserve to receive God's attention right now. Have you ever felt that way? I only feel that way when I'm awake. I rarely have this problem when I'm asleep. Except when I wake up in the middle of the night and then I have this problem again. You are robbed of your confidence as a well-loved child. And your confidence as a well-loved child is your identity. You are robbed of your identity. And once you have that, you will not come into his presence with confidence. You will not want to seek him out. You will be afraid of his presence. And so you will be religious. And by being religious, you can avoid a relationship with God. Hello? Hello? True. One of the great places to hide from God is in church. If you see church religiously through the lens of performance and measuring up and duties and rituals and their distractions too sometimes. The enemy is very clever. Number two, he reminds you of your uncertainties and worries about your future. And of course, once you look to your future, you've stepped out of right now. But look, if somehow you find freedom to forget about your past and stop worrying about your future, he will bombard you with present distractions. So you think, okay, I'm not going to get caught up in the past. That's on the cross. And I'm not going to get caught up in the future because his promises and his goodness to, be, to, to me has been obvious. And I'm going, to, I'm going to put my trust in him. But right now in this present moment, there's so many things to think about. So many important like what I'm going to do for him 10 minutes from now. That's important. Present distractions. Now I know this is going to hurt. But that's what we're here for. We're here for the pain. That's a joke, by the way. The, 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 the pain helps us to grow. I need to rub my head against Chris's head. Get, get some of his comedy anointing rubbed off. What are the present distractions? All right, how about this? Your appearance. How am I looking? How am I coming across? Or the pain in your foot. Or the person who is impolite to you on the freeway. What you have to do this afternoon. The hair on the person sitting in front of you, unless you're sitting behind Chris. Or maybe a tempting fantasy. And on and on and on. The present moment gets robbed by distractions. But still we have this issue 
coming in to the presence of God, finding the awareness of the presence of God. Is it even possible, given all these distractions, is it even possible? And how important is it anyway? I'm going to tell you a story. I absolutely love this story, which indicates whether or not it's possible and is it important. Back in the 1600s in France, there was a a young man who was very poor, and he was illiterate, and he had no real future, so he joined the army. Even coming out of the army, he didn't have any skills. He still couldn't read or write, and he had no real future prospects, but he'd had an experience in the army with God that really rocked his world. It was just a moment, but it really touched him deeply. So he decided, I don't have any skills and I don't have anything else to do. And I'm pretty useless, but I could go and give my services to a monastery. I could go and join a monastery and maybe they'll take me in. Maybe they'll give me something to do. So he went to Paris and he went to a monastery and he asked if he could work with them. And uh, they looked at his skill set and he didn't have one. So they said, well, you can work in the kitchen. You can wash dishes and clean up and run errands for the cook. And he gratefully took that. And he humbly took that. It was the only thing that he could do. So he ran errands and he washed dishes. But as he was doing this, he decided, I'm not much used to God, really. I'm, I'm just doing this menial task. But what I could do, the, the only thing that is available to me, since I don't have anything else, no other skills... I, I, could, I could practice coming into God's presence in the present moment. You got this idea. I could just practice coming into the presence of God, becoming aware of him while I wash dishes and run errands. And, and, and when I, my mind gets distracted, when, when it gets distracted, well, well, I can just return to him. You know, like a, like a dog returns to its master for food. I'll, I'll just come back more frequently I can remind myself and I can just come back into his presence. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to try to do that. That's all I can do. Well, he started to do that, entering into worship between his tasks and sometimes even during his tasks. As time passed, strange things began to happen in the kitchen. The monks started finding excuses to hang out in the kitchen. Because the kitchen had this strange sense of God's presence. So this got to the the head guy, the superior, that the guys were not doing their other tasks. They were hanging out in the kitchen. So he decided to investigate. Pretty soon he's hanging out in the kitchen. And they realized that this presence of God was coming from the dishwasher, not the machine. We didn't have machines coming from the guy, coming from the dishwashing guy. So they started asking questions like, what's going on? Why do you have this peace? Why do you radiate something? And he started saying, well, I'm just trying to enter in the presence of God. Well, 
Nobility started coming to hang out in the kitchen. Aristocracy started coming to hang out in the kitchen. It's one report I read. I, I don't know if this is true, but it was reported that the king of France came sit in the kitchen. And they asked him questions, and they wrote down what he said, and it became his book. His name was Nicholas Herman. Not a best-selling author's name, is it? So they called him Brother Lawrence. And his book is a classic of Christian literature. And it's his story of how do I enter into the presence of God? So how do we enter into God's presence in our many right nows? Which is all we have are a bunch of right nows. And the answer has to do with stillness. Stillness in the Bible is a major theme. It's really, really important. Here's a few verses. Exodus, I, this is one of my favorites. You know, Moses is being chased across the desert. Pharaoh's armies are bearing down on him. He's got, the, he's got the sea on one side, the desert on the other, and an army bearing down on him about to destroy him and the people of Israel and God's purposes and God's promises. And the Lord says in Exodus 14, 13, 14, The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. What a crazy contrary methodology for defeating the strongest army in the world. Just stand still. 1 Samuel 12, 16. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Psalm 37.7 Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Zechariah 2.3 Be still before the Lord. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You see the connection? Do you want to know God? The word know used there means to recognize. It means to recognize, to be acquainted with a familiar friend. It is the term we use for relational awareness. So what God is saying is, if you will be still, you will become aware of me. Not theoretically, intellectually, or theologically. You will become aware of me relationally. Quite a promise, isn't it? Who wouldn't want to have God as a friend and experience his friendship? And it's in this relationship that we receive hope. So the word still becomes hugely important in this verse and all the rest of these verses. If we can understand what God is telling us about stillness, we can understand a vehicle into the presence of God. Does that make sense? 
So understanding stillness is huge. So let's take a minute and look at what these words mean. There's several Hebrew words for stillness that we translate as still, but they're translatable to many other concepts. So we're going to look at a few of what, uh, what these concepts are. The word still used in Psalm 46.10, be still, can translate this way. Oh, first, let me just give you a mental picture. The Hebrew language is a concrete language. It's not theoretical. It's tied to everyday events and occurrences and things that you would see with your own eyes. Like, as a, for instance, the Hebrew word for depression is his jaw fell, like that. It's pictorial. It's very, very obvious. The word still here means to slacken or take the pressure off a rope. Like if you tied up a horse to a hitching post and the horse was pulling against the rope and it was taut, you would still the rope if the horse stepped forward and the rope sagged. You take the pressure off. So this word can translate as to slacken or take the pressure off, but it can also translate to cease. Like just stop what you're doing. But it can also translate, let go of the rope. Don't just slacken it. Just let it go. Okay? When we come to slow down and become still, we slacken the rope. We let go. We cease. What do we let go of? Worry. All those busy thoughts, past and the future, <laughs> yes, we let go of those accusations of the past. We let go of the fears for the future and we enter into right now. And we do that by letting go and by being still. We let go of our expectations for ourselves and others. Hello? We let go of our expectations of ourselves, but we also let go of our expectations of others. And get this. We even let go of our expectations of God. So much of prayer is getting something from God. That's not prayer at all. If you define prayer as relationship, knowing God, coming into his presence, enjoying his personality, his personality, his sense of humor, his intellect, his unique love for you, how he sees you. How about when we come to pray, we just stop asking for stuff and we say, I'd just like to enjoy you for a little while. I'd like to get to know you for a little while. I'd like to chat with you. What do you want to talk about today, Lord? What's on your mind? Lord, what makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What makes you happy? What makes you sad? What makes you angry? God has emotions. Why don't we know him that way? He's a personality. Psalm 37, 7 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is a different word for stillness. 
This one means the following. To quiet oneself, to be silent, to tarry, and to wait. It is about silence. It is about just just sit still and be quiet. Stop talking. Just relax. Just be quiet. Have you ever tried to be quiet? You know, once you stop speaking, your brain's still talking. Notice that? You're not making noise, but your brain's still talking like crazy, going over all that stuff. So this is not just talking about physical silence, like don't make noise. Talking about mental stillness, quietness. How do we quiet our thoughts? Because of all the struggles, that's the worst. We're going to hit how to do that in a minute. We're talking about mental stillness. For sure, it means letting go of our worries, our agendas, and our plans. Stop living in the future. You come into the presence of God, be quiet. In other words, stop worrying about the past and stop worrying about the future. Begin to focus on this moment with God right now. This moment. Does that make sense? We're going to deal with how to do that in a minute. According to God's word, the word still translates into three ways. The first one is slowing down and becoming physically still. Sit still. Just sit still. Bring your body into. Bring your body into a posture you wish your brain was in. Start with something you can control. Sit still. Now, step two, shut up. Well, I'm just giving you the Bible. That's what it means. Number one, stillness is translated sit still. Number two is translated be. Shut up. Love you. Love you, human. Love you. But shut up for a minute. Now begin to deal with your thoughts. And all those distractions get. And step one, forget about the past. Step two, forget about the future. I'm just here right now. Just right now, just in this present moment, and God's here for me right now. But there's a third stillness, and this is the goal. This is where we hope to come to. Spiritual rest. Spiritual rest for your heart and your emotions. And this comes from Psalm 131. And this is my absolute, when, this is my goal. When I come to do this, I want to be this passage. This is my high water mark. This is what I'm looking for. And let me read it to you. My heart is not proud, O Lord, and my eyes are not haughty. And I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled And the Hebrew word here means to adjust, to yield, and to compose. I have stilled and quietened, which means it's the same word as Psalm 33. I have quieted, silenced, carried, rested, waiting. I have stilled and quieted my soul, my emotions. Like a weaned child with its mother. 
Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Isn't that a beautiful picture? When I first taught this, figured this out and looked at this years ago, I was teaching on it. And one of the, and we were at that phase in life when everyone was having babies. There were a young fellowship with a lot of women with babies. And one woman with her baby put her hand up and said, I know exactly what that looks like. And I said, what? And she said, well, when my baby comes to me, uh, he's, he's breastfeeding. And when he comes to me, he's in a rage. I mean, his face is red. His veins are standing out. His fists are like this. And he's just, <sighs> he's just completely in a rage. And she said, and I put him on my breast and he starts to feed. And she said, I can always tell when he's done. And I said, how? And she said, well, I watch his hands. She said, when, when he first comes, he's like this, and he's so, he's in a rage, and he's feeding like a, well, like I eat at a buffet. He's just, he's just, he's completely obsessed with the food, like at a buffet. She said, but as he feeds, he slows down a little, which I don't, but he slows down a little, and then she said his hands begin to open, and when he's finished feeding, and he's full, His hands are completely open and he's relaxed. He's at peace. He said, I know exactly what that looks like. And I can't think of a better picture. We come to God to get the sustenance for our life. To get what we need of his spirit from him. And we're just in a rage about one thing or another. But as we begin to receive from him and focus on that relationship of intimacy with him. And there isn't anything more intimate than a child feeding on its mother. When we come to be intimate with him, we come in a rage of need and fears and confusion and all the things of the past and the future and the distractions of the present. But as we focus on the now and we come to him, we begin to open our hands. And whatever we've been clutching and holding to, we ultimately open up and give to him and let go. And we begin to experience a rest, which is a divine gift which is your identity, which is as a child resting in the arms of its mother or its father. And you're weaned, you see. You're a well-weaned child. You're not even coming to get. You're just coming to rest. You're relaxed. You're already fed. You're fine. You're in the arms of your father. You're in the arms of your mother. It's the heart that is silent and still, At rest with God like a well-fed baby with its mother. So to summarize, stillness of heart is letting go of our pride, our roles, our jobs, the expectations of others and the expectations of ourself. It is even letting go of our self-worth. And it is becoming a child against his chest. And it is tied to physical stillness, and to silence. And it's tied, more than anything else, to letting go of the past and the future and the distractions and becoming aware of who is he for me right now. How are you here for me right now? And here's how I learned to do it. And we're going to try this in a minute. 
When I come to pray, I sit comfortably and I dismiss the important thoughts that clamor for my attention. The enemy, Satan, is your executive assistant when prayer time comes. And he will remind you of everything you have to do for the rest of the day and the phone calls you should have made already but you forgot. So you should go up to your office and you should make them right now because it's really important and it just distracted you from what you were here to do. So as these clamoring thoughts, screaming for recognition, come up, don't fight with them. Don't rebuke them. Just say, yes, that's important, but not right now. That's important, but not right now. Right now, I'm here to be with my father. Yeah, we'll get to that. And I often say, Lord, you've got to remind me of this because it is important. But I trust that you will. And right now, you're more important than that thought. Connecting with you is more important than that task I'm going to do for you. Our relationship comes ahead of my tasks, even for you. So acknowledge them and then say, you can go. And then I tell God, and this is the, this is the key. Father, I am here now for you. How are you present for me right now and i remind myself i know you're here i know you're here you're everywhere but i'm not aware of you right now how are you here for me in this very moment and then i close my eyes and i tell myself again and i tell him you're here for me right now i say it several times until the truth of it hits me you're here right now you really are here right now Then I say, how are you present for me right now? How are you revealing your presence for me in this moment? How are you coming to me right now? And then I quietly wait and I pay attention and I listen and I watch. I'm listening to the new thoughts that come into my mind. I'm paying attention to my body and what I'm feeling. I'm looking around me, often at nature, maybe the backyard, which always does it for me. And I begin to become aware of his presence. Now, some days it's powerful and it's overwhelming and it's one of those things you tell stories about. And other days it's subtle. But listen, some days it's easier and some days it's harder. But it doesn't matter because I always leave the moment Closer to him than when I first sat still. Always. Always leave closer to him than when I first sat still. Some days are really close and others are not as close. But that doesn't matter. We still made contact. And I always leave with more peace and more hope than when I started. And the more we'll do that, the more we will come to know him as the personality that he is. And the more of his peace and hope and joy and peace and patience and long-suffering, all of the fruits of a relationship with him will grow in our lives more and more and more. And we will enjoy ourselves and like ourselves better. And others will enjoy us and like us better. And he will enjoy us and enjoy us and enjoy us. He can't like you. Yeah, I guess he could like us more. He always loves us, but he doesn't always have to like us. Maybe he's, he'd like us even more. I don't know. But this is the only chance we have.
the now. Okay? So should we do it? Close your eyes. And we're just going to take a moment to enter into the realization of his presence right now. So close your eyes. And think this with me as I say it. Think it, think it as your own personal thought. Father, you're here right now. Father, you're here in this room with me right now. You're here right now. No, really, Father, you're here right now. You're here with me right now. Father, how are you here with me right now? Father, how are you making your presence real to me right now? Because you're here right now. You're here right now with me. Father, what do you want to say to me right now? Do you want to say anything right now? Or are you happy just to be here? Father, I really need you. I really need you right now. I really want to be with you right now. Father, how are you here with me right now? Is there anything you want to say to me about my past? Is there anything you want to say to me about my future? Is there anything you want to say to me about right now? Now pay attention to your spirit. Pay attention to your emotions. How is he here for you right now? What's he saying to you right now? Open your eyes. Let's ask a question. Let's do a reality check. By way of a show of hands, how many sensed the presence of God in a way for you in those moments that was different than the moments that preceded it? Great. 
Thank you, Lord. Okay, so how about we try this regularly for a little while every day and see what happens? Okay? Right. If any of you would like prayer in helping you with that, lifting off some of the anxieties of the past and the worries about the future, or you want prayer for anything else, come forward now and prayer team, why don't you come up and, and we'll, uh, we'll end with prayer for one another. Excellent. Can we thank Mark? So in our 40 days of hope series, we've discovered five anchors that anchor ourselves in the hope of God. The Bible says, they that turn away from God have no hope. But our hope is a sure and steadfast anchor, and that is our hope in God and God alone. So we've learned our five anchors are the promises of God, the uh, as prayer to God, presence of God, the people of God, and the proclamation of the good news of God, which is Jesus Christ, which is the hope we give to others. So in our lives, in the life of our world right now, there is no hope. Um, well, in the world. But for us, if we can settle ourselves, he did a brilliant job today with the presence piece. If we can settle, our, settle ourselves in his presence, all this other stuff is temporary. So we anchor ourselves in his presence and we find the anchor that the world does not have. 